We are in Ephesians chapter 2, and believe it or not, to raise great, great, great disappointment, this is the end of our booklet today, which means, right, you need to have that booklet ready for next week, because we're done today, just so you know. And that's how come we're not going to have our booklet next week, because there's a paper shortage, uh, shortage if I could speak. All right, uh, very good. Let's, let's look, uh, let's open up to Ephesians. Uh, man, it's crazy to me that we have literally been in this book for a whole year already. Do you know that? We're finishing up chapter two today, and we've been in this book for a whole year. I wonder what we do around here. Uh, yeah, I guess we, we actually study the scripture. That may be how we're supposed to do this, I'm, I'm guessing. But here we are, we're at the end of a, a, a chapter 2, uh, and um, I'm just going to read the last three verses, because that's going to be our focus today as we finish this chapter. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 19. Now, therefore, and so anytime you see that, therefore, you have to ask yourself, why is it therefore? Well, it's because based on what I just told you, Paul says, now therefore, okay, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, Father, we come before you, Lord. We want to thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray uh, as we uh, finish up this chapter this morning, uh, Lord, that your word would speak to us. There's no doubt about it. Your word is alive. And Lord, we are thankful that it is. We are thankful that you gave us pens, uh, words on a page, that you penned it for us, uh, that we have the ability to know your mind on these things. And Lord, I pray as a church that we would let your mind be the final authority and not uh, any of our own opinions or thoughts. We need you and we need your truth and we need to make sure that we are adhering to it and we'll give you the glory for it because uh, you certainly deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said, amen. amen. All right. So again, remember, hey, can you move that just a little forward so I can see it because that speaker's blocking me. If somebody could do that for me, uh, definitely needs two of you because it's very heavy. There you go. Good, good. All right. Okay, now you turned it so much I can't read it. You need two of you to do it. It's heavy. Wow, dude. You must have gone to the gym because that was really good. All right, good. So chapter number one. What, again, what is the primary thing that we wanted to pull from chapter number one when we were looking at it? Anybody remember? And it's up at the top there in case you didn't. What the whole basis of Paul, what Paul's trying to make and the point he's trying to get, get us to grab onto is all those spiritual blessings, the nine of them, that, that are provided uh, through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. There is a prerequ prerequisite to it. You have to be in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you don't get those blessings. And by the way, those blessings were before the foundation of the earth. God had a plan before we ever were even here. Before Adam and Eve ever were even here, God had a plan. And he was going to put forth his plan and set it in motion. And so, uh, man, what a, what a great promise that we can rest assured on. That if we're in Christ, we get some really, really great things that we didn't deserve. Right? And then, of course, chapter number two, what was the major point that we wanted to grab out of chapter two? And it's very key that we get that. Something new was taking place. There was something new going on. And the reason why we hammered that as hard as we did is because what I wanted to make sure that we understood is that it was not something's being replaced. Something new would not be replacing, right? Okay, that's important to understand, uh, and that's why for the last 
two or three weeks, we, we, we really kind of slowed down a little bit and really dug into verses 11 to 18. Because if we don't get those verses right, if we misinterpret those verses and don't allow the Bible to teach what it's actually saying, we can fall into traps of and what is very prominent today of replacement theology, thinking that the church has replaced Israel. And if we get there, and our Bible study looked at this last night, it, that, that, that's dangerous ground. It, it really is. And, and, and we need to understand why that's dangerous ground, number one. But number two, we need to be able to defend ourselves against it uh, so that we can be right. The church, the Gentiles, did not replace Israel. What has now happened, as Paul is revealing this mystery, and in the next chapter, he's, I mean, it's going to be so obvious to us what's going on. It's, I mean, there's nothing more to say. Okay, it becomes very, very clear. But we are living now, right now, in this dispensation of grace where Jew and Gentile can become one new creature. And that new creature is called the body of Christ. And that new creature that's called the body of Christ has something that nobody in the Old Testament ever had and nobody in uh, uh, the tribulation is going to have. Anybody remember what that is? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The tabernacle of Leviticus is in you. Wow. Nobody's ever been able to say that. We are the only people that can make that claim. And I might go out on a limb and saying, well, don't you think then it's very important you understand Leviticus? Because what's going on in Leviticus is in you. Don't you think that is an important thing that we should know? Hey, all I'm saying is, what is the whole point of a Leviticus? Be ye holy, or I am holy. Is, are we called to holiness? Are we called to separation? Are we called to sanctification? Are we called to sanctify this vessel? Is that what we're called? Well, the only way you can do that is not to talk about it, but to actually find out what Scripture says you need to do to do it. This is all important stuff. We're talking about now this new thing. We're not talking about the household of Israel. Did y'all hear what I just said? Because that's a big deal. This is why a lot of folks get this messed up. We're not talking about the household of Israel. We're talking about the household of God. And Gentiles, you and me, have been adopted into this house by the blood of Christ. Now, if you stop and you really consider that statement, there's a couple things I need to say, and a lot of you already know what I'm going to say, but we got to say it anyways. Then are we all children of God? No, we are not. Why are we saying that? No, we are not. If we were all children of God prior to the adoption, then what is the point of being adopted into his house? That makes no sense if you just stop and think about it and let the scripture speak. No, we are not all children of God. And by the way, that is what Paul's getting at at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. We were what? Right? We were, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And Jesus said it as flatly as he could over there in, Matt, in uh, John chapter 8, when he says, you are of your father, the devil. What? Whoa, 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 nobody's ever told me that. What are you talking about right now? Yes! Prior to salvation, your father was the devil. 
Prior to salvation, you were at enmity with him. You were at war with him. Why is that not being propagated in the church today? Because there's profound importance and truth behind that that we must understand. Because what it helps us grab onto is just how depraved we really are without the word. That's what you, why, why, why would we want to know that? Why is that so important? Because if you don't know that, you will not think you're as bad as you really are. And if you do that, you will not take sin the way God does. And then I would argue, do you really even know what true repentance is? Do you really even know what it is? Could you? And, and, and I would argue 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, that without godly sorrow, unto salvation. Do you think that's a big deal? Do you think true biblical repentance unto salvation is important? What do y'all think? I think it is. I think we do need to grab onto these things. I think we do need to make sure we understand because if we don't, uh, as we talked about in our Bible last night, listen, man, just make sure we understand. The devil's subtle. And a little subtlety can cause a major problem. No, it can't. I mean, come on. Just, you know, uh, well, well, we just don't think alike. Is it that big of a deal? I think it is a big deal because a little subtlety can cause a major problem. Well, no, come on. God, God can work through. You know what? God can work through it. And you want to know what he did with a little subtlety? He cast a curse on the whole earth and everybody fell into sin and now death. That's what he did with a little subtlety. What do y'all think? The big deal or not? God obviously thinks it's a big deal. Why don't we? Why don't we? We need to. Because at the end of the day, we are not the judge. He is. And we're all going to stand before him one day. And we're all going to give an account. And our account can't be based on our opinions. Because I promise you, if it is, as Romans 3 tells us, every mouth will be stopped. And we will all become guilty before God. Because we're all guilty. Go, man, pastor, man, go on, what the heck, dude? Why are you, why? Because I mean, that's the reality of it. And you got to understand the reality, because if you don't understand the reality, you'll never know just how great the gifts are. Because that turns you now. Once you grab that, this really isn't about me at all. None of this is about me. I know what I am without him. And I get it. Okay, if, if anything's going to be good in my life, it's the Christ in me that needs to be good. Because he is good. And we need to, to, as Paul says so elegantly, we need to not walk in the flesh. Because if we walk in the flesh and we fulfill the lust of the flesh, the flesh, I promise you, without any doubt in my mind, it will take over. And once it does, it will permeate everything starts here it gets here and then it gets here and it gets here do you understand and it will take over and before you even know it you're going down a path that god would never have wanted you to go down so being in the household of god the importance of understanding that has everything to do with the fact that you and i have to understand we did nothing to get in it <laughs> we couldn't have we were so depraved there was no possibility for it hence the reason why jesus needed to die on the cross and shed his blood without it this would not be a rea reality we're on page 35 key word the key word of these last uh, uh, few verses would be unification unification and some of you may be uh, uh tracking right now and going oh man that's first corinthians 110 uh, yeah because it is unification is a very very important piece of this puzzle what jews and gentiles are are in christ paul repeated the word one to emphasize 
the unifying work of Christ, uh, mo- made both one, one new man, one body, one spirit. All this is being uh, brought to light uh, in Ephesians. Now, if we went over to 1 Corinthians, uh, we would also see, I'm sorry, that, scratch that. If we went over to Ephesians 4, we would also see the emphasis on this idea of one, where he says in chapter 4, uh, verses uh, uh, 4 through 6, he says, there is one body, there's one spirit, there's one uh, uh, hope of your calling, one God and Father of all who's above all. One, one, one. I wonder where we got our name from. I have no idea. Well, one, one. We're, we're one. With who? Him. <laughs> Amen? Amen. I, I, are you kidding me? Do you understand the blessing that comes with? We're one with the Lord. The Lord is one with you. Oh my. If you need any encouragement this morning, I don't know that we can get much further than just to stop right there and say, you're one with the Lord. He thought enough of you that he became one with you by his blood. You didn't even have to die to do it. Well, you do have to die spiritually. Listen, we have become one nation. Israel was God's chosen nation, but they rejected their Messiah, and therefore they suffered the consequences. However, however, we become one nation, if you will, the priesthood of God, if we accept the payment for the consequences. We're one family. Through the faith in Christ, we enter into God's family. And at that point, God becomes our Father. This wonderful family of God is found in two places. Very important to understand that. It's found in heaven and it's found in earth. Ephesians 3.15 Living believers are on earth. Believers who have died are in heaven. None of God's children are under the earth. Anybody okay? Anybody like that? Is everybody okay with that? You understand if you're under the earth what's happening, right? That's not a good deal, okay? We are all, we, we are all brothers and sisters in one family, no matter race, no matter nationality, no matter physical distinctions. All of it, we are one in Christ. If we are in Christ, though, we have to be in Christ. We have one temple. There's one temple. In the book of Genesis, God walked with his people. But in Exodus, he decided to dwell with his people. God dwelt in the tabernacle. Until Israel's sins caused the glory of God to depart. And oh my, I would stop and think about that for a little while, folks. Because we can cause the glory of God to depart from our temple too. Do you understand that? Make sure you understand that. Did I say you're not saved? I didn't say that. What I said, though, is that you can cause the glory of God to not dwell in this temple. That's a big deal. But again, remember, did Israel mess up? Well, yeah, that's what Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10 is all about. The glory of God leaving the temple. He left the temple. Does that mean he's done with Israel? No, no. God's next dwelling place, and this is the crazy part about it is, God's next dwelling place was in the body of Christ. Wow. Wow, what a big deal. Which, by the way, men took and nailed to a cross. Yeah. When I said the body of Christ, I wasn't talking about this body. I was literally talking about the body of Christ, Jesus Christ. What did, they, what did men do with that? They nailed it to a cross. And today, through his spirit, you know, it's got to be 
Um, I, sometimes I wonder, and I'm not saying that any of this is funny, but sometimes you've got to wonder if God's got a sense of humor. You've got to wonder if God's got a sense of, all right, let me show you how this is going to go down. Because you've got to figure Satan, when he got that body up on that cross, he had to have figured he, he had won something right there. He's like, I took care of that, buddy. We got him. We got him. And if you go to Psalm 22, you'll know that there was spiritual stuff going around that cross. Okay? There was evil, evil, demonic stuff going on around that cross. Okay? And you got to figure Satan had done it. He had finally gotten rid of this despicable God in the flesh. Got him. And then Jesus said, okay, let me show you something. And then he put it in millions of people. <laughs> what are you going to do now, Satan? <laughs> now it's in people. Satan's got to be going, what in the world just happened right there? I thought I got rid of this guy. And those disciples, man, they started going out. They started giving the message. And before you knew it, Christ in you started to flourish. And listen, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be saved today. Think about that, man. What a cool thing. The foundation for this church was laid by the apostles and New Testament prophets with Jesus Christ being the foundation. Uh, and of course, that whole idea of foundation, we can go to 1 Corinthians 3 now and talk about uh, uh, the, the, the judgment seat of Christ if we wanted to, but that's a different, uh, a, a different subject matter. Listen, he's the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation. If this gets taken out, we've got nothing. Nothing. We cannot consciously call ourselves a body of Christ without this being our authority. In how many things? In everything. He is the chief cornerstone. This is the mind of Christ. Any way, shape, or form we divorce ourselves from this, we're no longer what we're supposed to be. That's why this is so utterly important. The cornerstone binds the structure together. Christ united Jew and Gentile into the church. This reference to the temple would be meaningful to both the Jew and the Gentiles in the Ephesian church. The Jews would think of Herod's temple in Jerusalem. The, the, the Gentiles would think of the great temple of Diana. And remember what I told you when we first started Ephesians way back in January. Why did God write to the pastor in Ephesus? What was the point of why Ephesians is he revealing all this? Well, because you need to know what was going on in Ephesus. It helps you understand what, what God is trying to communicate. Both temples were destined to be destroyed, but the temple of Christ will build and it will last forever. Amen? Christ said to Matthew, in Matthew, I will build my church. The Holy Spirit builds this temple by taking dead stones out of the pit of sin. He gives them life and sets them lovingly into the temple of God. This temple is fitly framed together as the body of Christ so that every part accomplishes the purpose of God in his mind together. You can't do that if you're not part of a local congregation. It's an impossibility, yet God puts such a major emphasis on it, you have to question how anybody could come to that conclusion. And I'm going to prove to you at the end of this chapter that that is absolutely a very, very false way of thinking because God is going to make mention and reference to both. Okay? And we'll get there in a second. This one temple is meant to be a family. This is why Paul uses a plethora. Ha, 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 ha. All my Three Amigos fans know where I'm going with that. This is why he uses a plethora of so many similitudes to the family throughout his church epistles. Husband and wife, parents and children, spiritual growth of children, babes, little children, on and on and on. He constantly is referring back to this. Why? Why? Because what God is trying to communicate to us is that husband, wife, kids, family, home, 
It's nothing more than a picture of Christ, church, the whole thing. Everything works in conjunction with one another. Why do you think the devils attacked the family? Why do you think he did that? Because, and no disrespect to anybody in this room, I'm just, you know, being frank, because I can be, because I'm frank. <laughs> listen, listen. No disrespect to us. Seriously. But we're just dumb enough to not get it. But he's not. He knows exactly what this is. He knows exactly what this is a picture of. He knows exactly what we'll learn from it if we pay attention. And he knows exactly what he needs to attack to destroy it. And I'd say he's doing a pretty good job. And again, the reason why he's doing such a good job is because we have so many ignorant Christians. Ignorant of Scripture. Doing things their own way. Doing things based on what they think. And I'm just telling you, hey, man, do what you got to do. Everybody's got to do what they got to do. At the end of the day, I'm just trying to, I'm just this guy up here trying to tell you, but that's not what Scripture says. What do you want to do here? Is that the way you want to go? Without even realizing it, what you're doing is you're falling into the very lap of Satan. Do you understand that? Most people don't. Spiritual growth of children. Uh, uh, babes. So, so uh, me and Chris, we've been doing some discipleship here on, uh, on Saturdays. And, and, and we were just talking about this yesterday, man. We're, 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 do you understand and do you grab onto the idea that this whole coming together like we are right now in a congregation, there is a purpose for this. Now, I understand and I get it. I understand that there are folks who will think that this is not the church. And I get that. Okay. However, there are so many things in Scripture that cannot happen if you don't do this. And you need to understand that. And we didn't get to Ephesians 4 yet. When we get there, it becomes so obvious of the importance of this. Okay. But if, 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 if there's a lot of things I could say right now, but I want to nail this one. Because this is the one that, that I think is probably the most important thing we need to grab onto, the, onto. Why does God bring his congregation together? Why does he do that? Why did, did he do it in the Old Testament? Did he? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Does God change what he's doing? Yeah, but does he change the reasons why he's doing it? No. He might change how he accomplishes it. But he doesn't change behind it, the plan. Okay? And listen, so what is the purpose of all this? To teach us order. Because we will not get order right if we don't. And if we get things out of order, what comes when you get things out of order? Huh? A false balance that leads to confusion. Who's the author of confusion? I wonder how that happens. Well, I'll tell you how that happens. I'll tell you exactly how that happens. When we lose. Listen, hold your hand there, man. Go with me real quick to 1 Corinthians 1. Let me just read to you the, the, found, the founding verse of this church. Why, why we, we uh, 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 you, you know... Why do we choose this verse? Well, listen to what it says. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. Paul says, and remember, he's talking to Corinth who is messing this thing up. And what does he say? Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Well, you know, hey, that's just your interpretation. Is that what Paul said right there? No, Paul said, no, it's not your interpretation. You need to all be speaking the same thing. And then he goes on to say that there be, you know, just make sure your divisions aren't, like, bad. Is that what he says? No, he says that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together. What? 
in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now listen, just uh, please help me for a second. Help me grab onto this. Obviously, if I'm here and I'm a Cowboys fan and you're here and you're a Redskins fan or the dreaded Chiefs, are we in the same judgment about our team? No. Absolutely not. Now, now, let me ask you a question. That's just your team. <laughs> this is a big book. It says a lot. Does it not? How can my opinion about what this book says, and how can your opinion about what this book says, how are we going to come to the same mind and same judgment? If we allow our opinions to be interjected, is that going to happen? No, there's going to be so much division, you're going to hear things like, well, that's just your interpretation, blah, blah, blah. Listen, God says he wants his church to be of the same mind. He wants his church to be of the same judgment. He doesn't want there to be any division amongst it. How's the only way we could even remotely come close to that? Well, it's actually quite easy. We all can't agree on what the Bible says, but we can agree on, no, excuse me. We can't all agree on what the Bible means, but we can agree what it says. What does it say? Let's just agree on what it says, and then we will be in the same mind and the same judgment. Huh? That's the only way you could get there. And if you don't think that's what Paul's hinting at, if you don't think that's what Paul's grabbing onto, well, then just move to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and see where he goes with this. And then you're going to go, well, okay, I guess that's exactly what it, The wisdom of this world is foolishness. You need to have the wisdom of God. Well, how are you going to get the wisdom of God? Who is our wisdom? What does the Bible say? Christ is our wisdom. Well, Put on this mind, <laughs> who was also, which was also in Christ Jesus. Listen, that takes a very, very, very humble person to do that. Which is what Paul's teaching in Philippians 2, isn't he? He's talking about humility. How Jesus humbled himself, even to the death of the cross. He was our example. It takes humble to put your thoughts and opinions and what you think and what you like and what you don't like and what you think scripture, it takes a humble person to step aside and let the Bible take over. That's not easy, and I will tell you from my experience, most people will not do it. They'll pick and choose which places they'll do it in, and then they'll pick and choose places they don't want to do it in. And I'm just telling you, with all that I got in me, that's not the way God has designed this. And there's going to be an answer for it. There's going to be. Why do you think Paul is hitting this so hard? Order matters. It really matters. And Ephesians chapter 4 makes it very clear, especially verses 11 through 16. Very clear how much order matters. 1 Timothy chapter 2. You want to understand order? Go read that. The whole chapter is all about order. It's all about, that's exactly what he's talking about. You know, and it's crazy to me, and we were talking about this yesterday, it's crazy to me that people will go to that chapter to try to prove what women should wear and not wear in churches. That's not what he's talking about at all. Yet, how many people go to that verse to try to teach that women shouldn't be wearing this in church, and women should be, and they should do this, and they, No! Not at all what he's talking about. What was it, uh, Chris? First Peter 2 proved the point? 3? First Peter 3 proves the point, verses 1 through 7. It's obvious what he's talking about. He's talking about order. Order out of chaos. That's what he's talking about. How can you understand that? How can you learn that outside of the church? And you go, well, I can. We can. Really? Well, okay, someone explain to me then what's going on out there. Someone explain to me what's going on in our society. How do we get there? 
How do we get there? It's bad enough that the secular world is there. But I don't know, man. Spend any time. That's the reason why I don't even pay attention to Facebook anymore. I've gotten fed up with it. Because to be quite honest with you, it sickens me to watch what Christians are saying. What? This is wrong thinking. We've gotten where we got because the church has failed to do what it was, it was supposed to do because the church doesn't understand order anymore because the church doesn't understand what our purpose is anymore. That's where we how, and And here's the crazy part. We can look at that and go, that's so deflating. That stinks. Woe is me. What am I going to do? This sucks. Or we can go, you know what? Here's the cool part. God said it was going to happen. God said in the last days perilous times are going to come. God said this. We can look at this and go, well, we must be getting close. God's word's coming true. Is it stink that this is happening? Absolutely, but maybe all the more why I need to be doing what I'm doing because obviously not everybody else is doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's just perspective. Everything is always just perspective. How do you look at it? Are you a glass half empty person or are you a glass half full one? Which one are you? At the end of the day, it's still right there. That's where it is. Either it's half empty or it's half full. Which one is it? God expects us to be the half full. That's what he expects of us. But so many of us, especially in our society here in the United States, we're always, we're, we're complainers. We're complainers. We're excuse makers. We come up with every excuse in the book for why we can't do things or why we did what we did. We come up with every excuse in the book to avoid what God told us to do. We have an excuse. And better yet, to Satan's delight, we're good at it. And we've convinced ourselves that it's right. <laughs> okay. Christian, you're of the household of God. You are not of the household of this world. Get your affections off of the things of this world. Because if you love this world, the love of the Father is not in you. Get away from that is doing you no good. And matter of fact, it's doing you and everybody around you harm. Whether you realize that right now or not, I promise you one day when you're standing before him, you will then realize it. And you will realize just how important it really was. Amen? I, 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 listen, this foundation, number one, uh, on page 36 here, it, it's built upon the apostles. This is not a problem verse if you just read it. The only foundation is Christ. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ was prophesied, the mystery that is being revealed, as we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 3, is built on Christ. What was it that was promised by the Old Testament prophets? Christ Messiah, right? A king, a kingdom. Is there anything mysterious about that? Was, was the Messiah promised to come? Is that mysterious? No. What, was the Messiah going to sit on the throne of David? Is that mysterious? No. Is the Messiah going to be the king? Is that mysterious? No. None of that's a mystery. We all know that. We didn't need Ephesians to get there. If you pulled Ephesians out of the book, we would still be able to say that. So then, that can't be the mystery. Sorry, Calvinism. Sorry, replacement theologians. Sorry, oh, it's just being revealed. No, they all knew that. Take, a, take every single New Testament book out of the book for a second, and let's just have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What were the, what were the apostles looking for? The Messiah, the King, to sit on the throne. This isn't a mystery. This is, this is, there's, no, there's no mysterious uh, thing going on here. What was the mystery? 
The mystery was that Gentiles and Jews were going to be part of one body in the same household of God. That was the mystery. And what a fabulous mystery it was. Because if it wasn't for that mystery, we'd be in trouble. What Paul is saying uh, uh, to the Romans, and I have it there for you in Romans 1 through 5 if you want to read that. What, what he's saying is, I'm an a, a apostle of Jesus who is declaring that his resurrection was proof that he is the fulfillment of prophecy. Do you understand how big of a statement that is? That's a big deal. Romans 1.5, Paul was not one of the original 12. What he then is saying is, this Christ who was prophesied to the nation of Israel that has been rejected is now given to all nations through faith. And before now, this was the uh, 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 mystery which had been revealed to me, Paul, to give to you. When did Paul get the mystery? We talked about this last night at our Bible study. It's very important to understand this. Is Acts chapter 2, are they preaching the same gospel that Paul's preaching? No. Well, then why would you go to Acts chapter 2 to try to pull church doctrine? It's a God, it was the gospel written to the Jew, the circumcision. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1 and 2. I mean, my gosh, let's just read what the Bible says. To Peter was given the gospel of the circumcision. To me was given the gospel of the uncircumcision. What's the gospel of the uncircumcision? Well, let me tell you, in case you didn't know, it's a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins. What's the gospel to, to, to the circumcision? It's that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Are they the same things? No. Do I have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah to be saved? No. What do I have to believe? He died for my sins. Do I have to believe that Jesus Christ is my king to be saved? Find me a verse that says that. What do I have to believe that Jesus Christ is? My Savior. <laughs> it, it sounds so like, well, yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Yeah, man, you're right. I got that. Okay, then how come that's being misrepresented in most churches? Remember what I said about subtle? A subtle problem will cause major problems. We got to make sure we get these things right. Ephesians 3, 5, the Bible says, what, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. See, there are different building plans. There's a different building plan for the nation of Israel. There's a different building plan for the body of Christ. They're different. They're not the same. And one didn't replace the other. Okay? Romans 15, 20 says, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another's foundation. Matthew 16, 18 says, And I also say unto thee that thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The point is that there are many ways to build upon the rock. Jesus, hear what I just said. There are many ways to build upon the rock. In the Old Testament, it was prophecy furthered by Peter and the apostles on the earth, kingdom of heaven. In the New Testament, it was a mystery revelation furthered by Paul, kingdom of God. Understanding that is of great importance. And if you're talking to people and you're asking them, What's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? First of all, most people probably won't even know what you're talking about. What? What are you talking about? And then they'll just go to the obvious, easy answer. Oh, yeah, it's just the same thing. No, my friends, it is not the same thing. And by thinking that it is, what you are saying without even realizing you're saying it and the implications of it without even understanding the implications of it is that you believe that the church has replaced Israel. Do you see how important this stuff is? And listen, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. As I told our Bible study last night, if I'm wrong, kick me out of here, get rid of me, call me a heretic, get somebody up, get Robert up here and let him be a heretic. Because he believes the same thing. Okay, I'm serious. Get me out of here. 
However, let's just stop for a second and let's consider for a minute. If I'm right, what's the implications? Do you know what Jesus said not once but twice? They say they're Jews, and they're not. It's the synagogue of Satan. And I'm just telling you, as I told you two or three weeks ago and gave you the proof of it, I'm just telling you, do whatever you want with that. 95% of churches that are in Jacksonville today teach replacement theology. No, they don't. Yes, they do. And if you want to sit down and you want to go through their website, pick one. Let's go through their website. I'll bet you they do. Very, very, very hard-pressed to find a church that isn't doing it. I'm not saying there aren't any. What I'm saying is the majority are. The majority are. And let me tell you this. If it, that church has any, any association with the Roman Catholic Church, Protestant or otherwise, that is the Roman Catholic Church's thing. They teach replacement theology, man. That's what they teach. So start naming the, how many churches in Jacksonville have that background? And you go, man, why are you calling out the Roman Catholic Church? Because if I'm right, Jesus calls up the synagogue of Satan not once but twice. If I'm wrong, I'm a heretic, get me out of here. However, I would caution you. You better be able to take your Bible and prove to me I'm wrong. Because if you just think I'm wrong, just because it doesn't jive with you, or because, you know, your whole family's Roman Catholic, or your whole family is part of this, or what? hey, hello. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think as far as 100% Italian, I'm the only one in this room. My whole family's Roman Catholic. My mom and dad were born in Italy. I get it more than anybody. I get it. I understand it. But reality is reality. Fact's fact. And we need to get to the place where we understand the facts because we are in trouble. There is stuff going on out there that's... We haven't gotten to the mystery yet in our, our study on Saturday night, but we're going to look at mystery Babylon and the mystery of iniquity. Wait till we get there, guys. And start looking into that. It's, it's a big deal, guys. It really is. See, you can build this house according to the mystery revealed to Paul, or you can build this house according to the prophecy made known to the Jews. But what you cannot do, which is what everybody does, is build the house together. Because it's what? Different. You can't take Old Testament prophecies that were given to the nation of Israel and build them on New Testament church doctrine. That is the point of Ephesians chapter 3 when we get there. You can't do that. However, do you know how many do? And I'm telling you, it's very subtle. Yet, the implications are profound. You say, well, you know, come on. Remember what I told you about back in the garden? It was just a subtle implication that turned the whole world in, upside down and a curse. So don't be so naive to think subtle is not all that dangerous. Subtle's very dangerous. And Paul said so when he said, a little leavens what? The whole lump. Start with a little. And it's just like cancer. Go ahead. Throw a little cancer cell in your body and don't do anything about it. What's going to happen? It's going to take a little time. But you give it long enough, it's going to destroy you. It's going to kill you. I'm telling you guys, it's happening more than we think. Sadly, the Roman Catholic Church tries to build this foundation together with them being the head. But God is not building on the house according to the Jew today. It was left incomplete and in rubble, i.e. Daniel chapter 9. Does that mean God's done with Israel? No. Just at the moment, as Romans 11 says, which is another mystery he's going to reveal, blindness in part has happened to Israel. Okay, well, well then what's going on? Right now, he's using us 
to make Israel jealous as we get grafted in. People think that us getting grafted in means we get all the promises. That's not what Paul's saying in Romans 9 at all what he's saying. We got to understand that. We are in a parenthetical age. When Christ returns, he will finish building their house. Does he need to finish building our house? Let's stop and think about that for a second. Does he need to finish building our house? Why not? Because it's not our house. He is the house. Does he need to finish himself? No. Does Israel have Christ in them? No. He needs to finish that house. And let me just say this. If he doesn't finish that house, what does that make him? It makes him a liar. Anybody okay with saying God's a liar? Because I'm not. No. He's going to finish that house. He don't need to finish this house. This house is already complete in him. And what does Paul say? <laughs> Something like that, huh? Okay. Of course, we know that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the head of the body. Um, if you look at the next page, 38, it's been fitly framed together. Fitly framed together. It means you are formed fitted to Christ in his body. How can we become fitly framed into his body? Well, let's start with this. There's nothing you can do. It's everything he has done. And listen, that should lift the weight of the world off our shoulders. That, sh that, that should be joyful to us. Nothing I can do. He did it all. Amen. Right? The point is, is that God is trying to make us now what we already are later. <laughs> Did you hear that? Let me repeat that, because I love how Claude does this on Facebook. For all those in the back that didn't hear, I mean, I see that at least 10 times a day. Can you say that louder for the people in the back to hear? I love it, Paul. You're, uh, Paul. I just called him Paul. There you go. Yeah, I do. I do. He's got great wisdom. So I just, when I see him, I think Paul. Listen, do you understand what Christ is looking for? What he is aiming for is to make us now what we already are. Wow. Pretty cool. However, it does require sanctification on our part to get there. Uh, as fitly framed people working together to accomplish the purpose of what we are individually. God dwelling in us, working together to accomplish the goal together. We can't do it on our own. Hence the reason for the local church. This, you can't do the one another's. There's 40 of them. You can't do them outside of the local church. You can't have a pastor if you're not a part of a local church. Well, I don't need a pastor. I, I just need the Word of God. Where did it say that in the Bible? And, and if it does say that, why did he give you pastors and teachers according to his heart to teach you knowledge and understanding? Well, this, this makes no sense. If we stop and think about it, you have to remember what the purpose of Ephesians is. Y'all remember? It's to reveal the body of Christ. The first three chapters lay the foundation for the doctrine of it. The last three chapters turn it to the practical. How, okay, all right. So now you're the body of Christ. Now how does the body of Christ function? Well, let me show you. Chapter 4, 5, and 6. He shows us how it functions. We need to make sure we understand that. Listen. We are now partakers of God's inheritance. In Ephesians 3, 6, it says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by what? The gospel. We are built upon 
Christ. First Timothy says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how to behave thyself in the house of God. Let me ask you a question. When he calls it the house of God, what makes you think he's talking about the universal body of Christ? Because what I would argue to you and what I would tell you is, show me one time in the Bible when he's talking about the uh, household of Israel that he's talking about the universal household of Israel. And now if you stop and you think about that for a second, you go, well, that's ridiculous. There's no way. Exactly. Exactly. He's talking about the household of God in a local setting. It's exactly what he's talking about. Because why? It's the pillar and the ground of truth. It's, it's, it's the foundation piece. There is a point to this. There is a reason why we come together on the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16. There's a reason why this happens. Because there is an order to things that God wants to take place. Now, will I say, and, and without hesitation say, there are many not doing it biblically correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. But just because something's wrong doesn't mean it's still wrong when you're doing it right. Does that make sense? Just because you look at it and go, well, pff, that's all wrong, so that can't be right. Well, wait a minute, no, no, time out. Maybe it's just they're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean it's still wrong. Fitly framed and growing. Listen, Ephesians 4.16, when, when, when he's talking about the gifts that God gave to the body of Christ, he said, and, and remember, what did he say over there in Ephesians 4? He said, I gave you pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, i.e. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, by the way. By the way, right? He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. That we henceforth come to a place where we can't accomplish 1 Corinthians 1.10. Hello? Huh? Is that okay? Right? He, from whom? The whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part making increase of the body on the edifying of itself in love listen if we had the time i'd bring you to first corinthians 12 right now and i tell you like i said last week the weakest link of a church is going to dictate the direction of the church it takes all of us doing our part because we have to remember what the purpose of the church is. And to make statements that I hear people make, it's because you don't understand what the purpose is. Why do we do this? Why do we meet on Sundays? Why do we come together? What is the purpose of this? So that the pastor can make some money? So we can have some fancy building that we spent millions of dollars on? Is that why we do Do a lot of churches do that? Yes. But again, remember what I said. Just because people are doing it wrong doesn't still mean the foundation's not right. Why do we do this? What is the purpose of this? Because this is where we come to learn how to be perfected, matured in our faith, so that we can do the work of the ministry, win people to Christ, build them up in their faith, send them out to do the same thing. This is where discipleship happens. This is where we come together and we edify one another as a family would. Can't be a family if you're not around a family. Am I wrong? I mean, listen, if I'm wrong, man, there's a lot of scriptures you need to pull out of your Bible and just get rid of them because they don't make any more sense. No, no, this is where this happens. You in Christ and Christ in you. And can I just say this? A house divided cannot stand. And let me just tell you, many of a church house this morning is divided. And it cannot stand. 
which rock we build that house on, that matters. It really does. And let me just close with this. Let me just close with this. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 for me real quick. And let me show you something. Watch. Now, therefore, verse 19, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. By the way, who were the saints that we become fellow citizens with? This is important to understand Daniel. Who are the saints prior to us becoming fellow citizens with them? The Jew. So go ahead, go back to Daniel 9 and think that it's talking about the church. Go ahead. Which I'm telling you, I've heard just about every pastor say. No, that's not talking about the church at all. That's talking to the Jew. That's who he's talking to. Don't go to Daniel and start saying the saints is us. That's incorrect theology, very incorrect. We have become fellow citizens. Okay, now watch. In whom? Verse 21. All the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Now listen, if it stopped right there, if it stopped right there and we didn't have verse 22, I could at least maybe concede, well, yeah, you know, the body of Christ is universal. Although I think there's enough other scripture that <laughs> we can make the argument without it. But my gosh. It's almost like God knew this was coming. And it's almost like he just made sure to make sure we got the point. Look what he says in verse 22. In whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. It's almost like he's saying the same thing. But he's not. Stop and think about it. In whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Would that be physical or spiritual? Come on, help me. Spiritual. Why? Because Christ is in you. That is the universal body of Christ. That is what he's referencing. That is what he's talking about. Everybody in the world today, in heaven or on earth, who is in Christ, we are all part of the body of Christ. Amen? Okay, but don't stop there. Because what did he say in verse 21? In whom all the building... Is building physical or spiritual? Oh, boy. Fitly framed together. Growing together. Y'all see this? He obviously isn't talking about spiritual here. Obviously, he's talking about the local body. It would make absolutely no sense for him to say the same thing twice in two verses. He wouldn't need to do that. But he's making a separation. He's showing that separation for this building, these four walls, to grow together. We need to be framed together. We need to be together. And if you don't think that that's right, I think it becomes so clear in Ephesians 4 that you couldn't argue it even if you wanted to. You couldn't argue it if you even wanted to. Okay, overview and we're done. Chapter 1, we talked about the nine spiritual blessings of the Trinity. We talked about the spiritual understanding and the importance of our spiritual understanding being increased. Yeah? Isn't that what Paul prayed for? Did Paul pray for physical things? No. What did Paul pray for? That our spiritual understanding would be enlightened, that our eyes would be open to the things of God. He, he prayed, he prayed for our uh, uh, whole being to be in the Word of God. Finally, he says that Christ is the head of the church. The church is his body. All this stuff, chapter 1, all of it is contingent on being, try it again, contingent on being, okay, chapter 2, the whole beginning part of the, the chapter is about what we were, 
verse what we are now. Verses 1 through 6. What we were versus what we are now. And what are we now? We're new. Jew and Gentile made one in Christ. And then how does he close the chapter? He wants us to understand. Remember, he's revealing. This is a revealing of the body of Christ. And as he closes the chapter, he wants us to understand how this thing functions. It functions as a spiritual body and it functions as a local body. And both of them together make it work. And if you outbalance one or the other, what does Proverbs 11 one say? A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. What do you all think? Might be, might be important subject matter? I think it is. I think it's very important. And I think what Paul's hitting on here is crucial that we understand. We're going to see some more in chapter 3, but then, man, watch what happens. If you're not grabbing on to some of this stuff yet, wait till we get to chapter 4, 5, and 6. Because 4, 5, and 6, it's like Paul always does. He starts out the first couple, two, three chapters, and he explains, and he lets you know the doctrine that sometimes can be somewhat confusing to us. We're like, I don't know. Let's just get to the practical. <laughs> Once we get to the practical, then it's all going to make sense, Right? It's all going to make sense. Listen, the most selfish thing we could do ever is hear about and receive the gospel that saved us from our eternal dwelling in hell and transferring us to the eternal dwelling with him. All these blessings that we see in chapter number one and in chapter number two that we could not have without him, all of this, and then not share that with someone else. Listen, I don't, I don't mean to be any disrespect to anybody in this room, but can I just say this? If that's you, with all respect, you're very selfish. Very selfish. It's all about you. And you could care less that the purpose of all this is his glory. And if you don't believe that, well, we didn't get to Ephesians chapter 3 yet when God tells us what the purpose of all this is. And you certainly didn't read John chapter 15, 1 through 8. If he's not getting his glory in and through you, then what are you doing? What am I doing? If he's not getting his glory in and through this church, what are we doing? If this is all about our opinions, what we think, how we want things to be, and all that, then, then who's getting the glory out of that? And what do you think Satan would love for you to do? Because you remember what he tempted Eve with? See, most people forget this stuff. What did he tempt Eve with? Did he tempt Eve with the fruit of the tree? No. That's not what he tempted Eve with. He tempted Eve with the very fact that she could be like God. So that she could be the authority in her own life. And so that she, like God, could get glory. Am I wrong? If you stop and you think about that, and by the way, isn't that exactly what Lucifer did? Oh yeah, exactly what he did. 